Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to join us today, and we're so grateful that you're a part of our community. This year for Christmas Eve, we're having an 11 a.m. and an 11 p.m. gathering at Studebaker 112. At 11 a.m., there will be nursery, so if you've got little babies or toddlers, they will be able to hang out with some of our wonderful volunteers. Otherwise, your kids are welcome to join us in the gathering. However, there will be a candle lighting, and so your kids are your responsibility for that hour. Now, if you're a long-distance community member of South Bend City Church, or if you're traveling that day, the full gathering will be available on the podcast to listen to that morning. Also happening right now is our Christmas offering. We've got a few weeks left to give to that. And for a full rundown of what organizations and causes we're getting behind this year, head to the link in the show notes below and listen to our special podcast episode. Even though there's a handful of great things that we're giving towards, I wanted to highlight a few of them today. A portion of the Christmas offering will go to Redeemer Central in Belfast and to the Telos Group. We'll contribute to Redeemer Central's building fund to help sustain their presence in the heart of Belfast, supporting not only their gatherings as a worshiping community, but also their hospitality to refugee populations and food distribution efforts. And we'll also support the critical peacemaking work through the Telos Group, which you've heard us talk quite a bit about and their peacemaking work specifically focusing on Israel and Palestine. Our goal for the Christmas offering this year is $40,000, and I'm excited to share with you that as of now, you all have given $8,139.34. We do have a bit of ways to go, but we also have time for you to give to this. This fund will be open through early January. So you can give to the Christmas offering or to the Tribune Project or to our general fund by going to southbendcitychurch.com slash give and by choosing the fund that you wish to give to. For real, thank you for the ways in which you show up, both in your generosity of finances and of time and of energy. All right, so we're in week three of our Advent teaching, the paradox of Advent, waiting and waking up. Advent poses a question for us. What are you waiting for? But hidden in that question is a paradox because sometimes it confronts us with the powerlessness we face in our unfulfilled longings, and sometimes it calls us to step into our power and make a difference. This week's gatherings focused on the second half of that paradox, inviting us to step into a creative stance and to do something. Once again, thanks so much for joining us. Let's jump in with the rest of our community now. Uh, Sometimes on Instagram, I'll open up a little thing I call Ask a Pastor, uh, just to respond to questions that people have where they're looking for a kind of theological or pastoral perspective. And one of the questions that came through the last time I did that really struck me. It's like a simple question on on one front, but there was a kind of a gravity behind it. And it came from a parent. And while I'm not a parent, uh, I have a lot of friends who are parents and I get to walk with them. uh, And I also get to be like Uncle Jay in the lives of a lot of little ones. And so I'm adjacent to that experience. And so I think because I've been close to that experience, I felt that the full-hearted kind of heaviness in the question. And the question the parent asked was, uh, how to parent with authentic joy when it seems like everything in the world is burning down? And I've heard from parents and others who themselves are confronted with something really beautiful or good, but somehow the actual presence of that beauty or goodness almost just heightens the awareness that not everything in the world is beautiful or good right now, you know? And I think um, we struggle to figure out how to sit with all that, right? Uh, not to quickly turn the mood. Um, uh, but I think right now of um, thousands of kids in Gaza who aren't here anymore. And, um, 
just the weight that that puts on the heart. And last week we began to name some of that ache as a community because one of the things that Advent invites us into is a kind of deep longing and long waiting for things that aren't here yet, right? Uh, You and I are exposed to a lot of forces that drive us toward shallow longing and immediate gratification. We live in an environment in a world that's really good at stirring up like really shallow wanting. Uh, That consumer machine just drives us and then expects us to have things just uh, in an instant. And so our waiting and our wanting, I feel like, are being malformed uh, for shallow things with short timelines. When in fact, to be human, we are meant to wait sometimes for important things with long timelines. That that's the kind of deeper humanity that Advent calls us toward. Last week, we looked at this scripture that comes from the prophets in Isaiah, where the prophet sort of cries out on behalf of the people. This is Isaiah 64. We heard this last week. God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That you would dissolve the barrier between your world and our world. That you would dissolve the barrier between the way things are and the way they should be. That you would shore up the gap that we feel in the world around us right now. This is the kind of uh, deep longing and long waiting that Scripture expresses over and over again and that Advent invites us into. And last week, we turned toward that. Uh, Last week, we asked ourselves some questions. These are the questions that we sat with. What are you waiting for? What's the good thing that you long for? What's the beautiful thing that you are aching for? What's the thing that hasn't arrived yet that you need? Maybe you or for the world at large, right? Next one we ask, where in your life do you find an unfulfilled longing? It's vulnerable to name these things, isn't it? Because it admits sometimes that there are things that we can't secure for ourselves. There's a kind of powerlessness in naming these things, but we named it. And then we asked, where in our world do you long for God to address the current circumstances? Like, do you have those places in the world where you're, I'm kind of, it's kind of a funny phrase, but I feel me. I would like to speak to a manager about this, please. <laughs> like, like, what's going on in the governance of the cosmos that allows this kind of mess to persist, right? So we ask these questions as an act of, of holding a deeper longing with one another and in the presence of God. Uh, we also engaged in some um, sacred vandalism upon the holy pages of Scripture over there. Uh, if you weren't here last week, maybe you wondered what's going on there. Uh, on that wall, there's a printout from that page of Scripture, Isaiah 64, where we read that longing prayer. And we took to it last week to just, with words and images, name some of our own responses to those questions. Like, what is it that's unfulfilled that we're waiting for? Uh, and by the way, if you want to still get your hands on that art project, you can do so today after the gathering. You can do so uh, next week before or after the Christmas Eve gatherings. We want to keep bringing our own uh, response, our own prayers to that page there. Uh, also, a reminder, that's going to be part of a communal art project. Uh, that will lead into next year's Advent, where this community is going to create together a a book uh, to help us reflect our way through the Advent season toward Christmas. That'll be like something beautiful and printed, and it'll include artwork from the members of this community curated to create something really helpful, along with art from the history of the church and the followers of Jesus. So that'll be a part of that, and if you want to get in on that, um, please feel free to do so. Uh, The Christmas offering this year is also helping to fund that project. Uh, But after last week's sermon, uh, a friend of mine asked me a question who was listening to it. And it's such a provocative question. He said, what about this, though? He said, when does hope become an idol? And I think what he meant was, like, when when do we, like, in our 
in our like doing all this longing and waiting and saying we can't do it, only God can do it, and we keep waiting for it, and we don't know when it'll get fixed, but we hope and we believe that one day God will deal with all this stuff. When does that stance become counterproductive? When does that actually begin to work against the very way that we're meant to be in the world, right? And when he said that, I thought of a moment when I was growing up where I realized looking back on it, I was like, I think that's when hope becomes an idol, where it becomes counterproductive to what God wants to do for us. So hang with me for a minute. Okay, we're going to work all this out, I promise. Uh, not that you'll have all the answers, but hopefully we'll make some progress together. I was uh, at summer camp, at a Christian summer camp growing up. And during this particular week of summer camp, I believe I was in middle school, one of the little sort of rituals was that the dean of the camp, who was one of the pastors or one of the churches that ran that camp, uh, he would um, come into the, the guy's cabin where all the students were there. And we kind of had this like, it's kind of like guy's question night. You're middle schoolers, it's kind of like you can ask anything and this pastor's going to try to give you a good sort of theologically grounded answer. And I remember so clearly, I don't know why this stood out to me, back in like 1995 or something like that, uh, one of the kids asked, should Christians recycle? This is a really consternated question, right? There's a lot of like fresh environmentalism being pushed in the 80s and 90s and Christians are trying to figure out what to do with all that, right? And I'll never forget this. Um, the pastor turned to a page in Scripture that talked about the new heavens and the new earth. And then said, so when I read that, what I know is that all of this is God's problem and we don't have to worry about it. I know, I know. I know. By the way, I fear that I tell more stories about Christians behaving badly than Christians behaving well. I was thinking about that today. That's not a, my experience has been lots of Christians have been amazing and pointed me in all the right directions. But that moment, I'm like, oh, that's... That's the wrong kind of hope, right? That, that hope has been doing something it probably wasn't meant to do, right? That it leaves us sort of passive. It keeps us from taking responsibility for things. And whatever we're doing with longing and waiting and unfulfilled aching, I don't think we're trying to abdicate our responsibility in the world, right? I've heard another theologian say, especially in the wake of some really hard things right now, it is the height of hypocrisy to pray for an answer to things that we are unwilling to address. You know, so we get down on our knees and we say, God, fix this, God, fix this. And sometimes I think God is saying, yeah, this is above your pay grade. And you can't tackle it on your own. Like you just, it, it's just, you have to confront your powerlessness right now. And sometimes I think we pray and God says, what are you waiting for? Do something about it. And this too is an Advent theme. Advent, uh, quite literally, the word translates to Arrival. This season is about us turning our attention, fixing our gaze on the moment of God's arrival, which comes in different forms. We, here in this season, we celebrate the arrival of God in Jesus. We celebrate the arrival of God in our lives, and we long for the ultimate arrival of God where these things will be put right. But there are different moments of arrival, and some of them have already happened. I showed this to you two weeks ago, but I want to go further into it. That prayer from Isaiah, God, that you would tear the heavens, that you would literally uh, break apart the barrier between the world that we live in right now and you and your presence and your healing and your power, that you would break all that apart. Well, Mark's gospel seems to think that that prayer has been answered. So in the gospel of Mark, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus, a number of scholars think that Mark is very self-consciously grabbing that prayer, bringing it forward, and showing us that it's been answered, that it's been addressed. So in Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the way that Mark tells the story of Jesus, we see this telling of his baptism. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
the heavens have been rent. The heavens have been torn open here in this story, right? Now hold that in mind and go to the very end of Mark's gospel. This one's a little bit more obscure, and I know I already revealed this to you two weeks ago if you were here, but this is for all you who weren't. Uh, Mark, at the end of Mark's gospel, we're there at the moment where Jesus is crucified. And what you need to know before you read the text that happens right after his crucifixion is that in Jerusalem, not far from where he's crucified, is the temple. And that the temple has two major veils or curtains delineating different spaces in the temple there. And one of those curtains we know from an ancient historian named Josephus is a Babylonian tapestry, something like 80 feet tall, very heavy, very thick. And embroidered on that tapestry is a constellation of the stars. So for anybody in that time and place, they would have known that that curtain itself is a rendering of the heavens, right? With that in mind, we read this uh, at the end of Mark's gospel, chapter 15. Right after Jesus breathes his last, we read the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I mean, Mark frames the entire gospel of Jesus to say, this is the answer, the presence, the promise, the fulfillment. This is what we've been waiting for. Heaven has been torn open. God has arrived. The gift's already been given. The Spirit's already here. The kingdom of heaven is yours. But we live in the middle of these two things, don't we? We, we, we live in the middle of Isaiah's prayer and, and Mark's answer. Because, yeah, on the one hand, uh, we've been told it's already here, it's already been given. On the other hand, things are still a mess, right? personally and privately and publicly and systemically and globally and politically and militarily and economically, like things are still a mess. And so we live between these two things. I shared this phrase with you already that the technical term for this in theology is partially realized eschatology. Eschatology is a vision of the end, of, of the fulfillment, of the age to come, of the time when heaven and earth are one. And theologians basically come up with it and say like the, the best we can do is this is sort of partially realized and this Advent season, we are trying to hold the paradox. It's like, literally, in fact, this might help you right now. Do me a favor, if you want. Pull, hold out both hands. Just hold them out. And look at one of them. Maybe look at, look at your left hand. And hold in that hand all of your powerlessness. We are up against things that are bigger than us. And we don't know what to do about it. And it seems that a lot of the stuff is above our pay grade. And so maybe the best thing, the holiest thing, the most important thing we can do is name the unfulfilled longing. And on the other hand, literally, like imagine yourself holding in that hand your power. The power of your life, the power of your voice, the power of your presence, the power of your body, the power, the power of who you are and who God has given you to be. And we, we hold these two strange things side by side in a kind of paradox. And the way that you hold a paradox is not by diminishing one or the other, but by holding them both as fully as possible. And so last week we held the unfulfilled longing. But today I'm here to tell you don't miss your power. In John's gospel, we read this about the arrival of Jesus. This has already happened according to John. The word, that's a fancy uh, idea there in the Greek, the, the organizing creative principles of the universe is what he's, he's tapping into there. The organizing creative principles of the universe have become flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And when he came, he looked at people and said things like, the kingdom of heaven is here, and it's yours. And he breathed on his followers and said, I give you now the spirit of life. I give you this spirit of power 
to work in and through your life. So yeah, on the one hand, let's hold our powerlessness and our vulnerability, but let's not make those things an excuse. Let's not abdicate our responsibility because on the other hand, it's time to like own our power and say God has already arrived. And maybe he's saying like, what are you waiting for? That place in the world where you feel it most, the gap between heaven and earth, like what are you waiting for to step up and do something about it? We could ask these kinds of questions. Let me put some new questions on the screen. Where have you seen the glory that tells you heaven is already here? Haven't you had a glimpse of it somewhere? I mean, maybe it was the kids today. Maybe it was something beautiful that you bumped into a little while ago. Maybe it was a story of love that you've heard. Maybe you've um, been inspired by somebody's act of sacrifice or generosity or bravery or commitment. Maybe you have those stories in your family or among your friends, or maybe you've read about them in the history books. Where have you seen the glory that tells you heaven is already here? Or how about this next question? Where in your life or in the world is it time to stop waiting and start waking up? You sense perhaps that we've been sleepwalking a little bit. There's something that invites us to wake up and do something. Maybe it's in your personal life, your private life, your family system, your relationships, your habits. Or maybe it's addressing something that the world at large in your neighborhood, in our city, in your schools, halfway around the world. Where in your life or in the world is it time to stop waiting and start waking up? Or maybe this. Where do you hear the invitation to join God in creating a new future? And I think that word is really important, creating. Uh, it's interesting. Um, in Scripture, often when Scripture is talking about like redemption or salvation, it sounds a lot like creation, so John, for example, who tells that story of Jesus, who said, we've, we've already seen the glory of God. John begins John's telling of the gospel of Jesus to say, in the beginning was, which is a way of hearkening back to Genesis 1 and creation stories, but he's telling the story of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's, he's bringing the creation motif forward as if to say that when the healing happens, when the redeeming happens, when the saving happens, it's going to feel a lot like the creating act all over again. You fast forward to Revelation 21, 22, the very end of the book, where everything gets put back together, and it's a story of new creation, of a new, of a new earth. As if to say that, like, if you're looking for the saving act, for the redeeming act, for the healing power, it might look like, feel like, act like, sound like, smell like, a lot like creating. And so if you're wondering for yourself, like, where would I start, what would I do? Maybe start by trying to tap into a kind of creative impulse. By the way, by creative, I don't mean you have to be artsy. I don't mean you have to know what to do with paint colors. I mean the, the broader, deeper, more universally human capacity to get your hands on the raw materials of the world around you and shape it in a certain beautiful, generative, life-giving direction. I mean to get your hands on the way that you shape your time. I mean to get your hands on the way that you shape physical materials around you, shape numbers on a spreadsheet, to get your hands on something and tap into that power that says you're not just a victim. You're not just a passive observer of what's happening in the world around you. You can lean forward and get your hands on it and make something of it. And more often than not, I think if we're trying to figure out how do we partner with the God who's already here, who's already given us God's spirit, who's saying, what are you waiting for? The more that you tap into that sense that I, I have the power to create something of this, to, to make something of this, the more that you trust that power, the closer you're going to be to the things that we are called to. Uh, in the past few weeks, I've had the privilege of learning about a local story that I didn't know about. Uh, I learned about it through Karen Grant, our kids' ministry director, as she told me about a friend of hers named Takesha Jacobs. 
So Takesha uh, is a member of our South Bend community here in the city. And um, she has uh, firsthand bumped into the horror of gun violence in South Bend. Uh, in July 4, 2017, uh, this incident didn't actually happen in South Bend. It was in Indianapolis. But back in July 4, 2017, her 15-year-old son was shot and killed. And I can just imagine um, the unique horror of a parent who loses their kid at that age. Uh, I know that like, comparative grief isn't really helpful, and different kinds of losses have their own hurt, but I, I just have sat with enough parents who've lost their kids to know that there's a, a peculiar kind of heartbreak that comes from that. And I can imagine, on the one hand, um, if I'm a parent and I lose my kid to something like that, I can imagine the helplessness that I feel especially as gun violence persists in the world and even here in South Bend, I can imagine the kind of um, victim experience that I'm going to have from having my beloved son just ripped out of my life, out of my family, out of my hands. I can imagine all those feelings. And by the way, those would be legitimate feelings, right? Because um, it's the paradox. We're not trying to discount any of that. We're not trying to dismantle any of that. We're holding that. But Takesha seems to have already or also tapped into a sense of her power, of her capacity to do something about it. And so for a while now, she's been uh, highly engaged with groups of young adults right here in South Bend. She's helping them learn different approaches to conflict. She's taking them on learning adventures to see that there are other ways to resolve these things, to create a new imagination for their future. There's also something more like rudimentary that she does that I find so striking and beautiful. And again, I learned all, about all this uh, from Karen here in our community, which is simply to say that when she's with these young adults, and she knows uh, a lot of them are carrying weapons. She simply asked them for that day, while you're here with me, will you empty it of its bullets and give them to me? Now, up against the larger issues of gun violence that rat communities like our own, I know that that may not seem like a radical intervention, but what she knows in that moment is that for that day, for that day, those kids have been disarmed. And for that day, um, they've been helped to put themselves in a situation where they can't make the kind of life-altering decisions that they're tempted to because of everything going on around them. Um, I find that beautiful. I find it compelling. I find it the story of a person who would have every reason to throw her hands up in the air and say, this is above my pay grade. I can't fix this. God, you got to do something about it. But who instead is taking responsibility for her own power, her own relationships, and doing something. But there's another move that she makes that I find um, especially uh, insightful which is now you're uh, Takesha and you have all these bullets. What do you do with them? Well, she decided to make something with them. And so uh, Takesha now and her group are known uh, for making um, things like these bracelets with bullets that have been emptied of their powder so they can't be used to shoot anymore. And it's really something to take an actual instrument of violence and make something beautiful out of it. I mean, it may seem like a a little small in the face of all these hard things, but I actually think that little artifacts of beauty that are made out of violence and harm are like precisely the story arc that we are in that we are here to tell. And so she does that. Uh, I think uh, these also raise funds then for the work that they're doing uh, to intervene against gun violence. Um, I think one reason this like really stood out to me is because of another uh, artifact that's been traveling with me for quite a few years. Uh, and I think a few years ago I showed this to you as well. Um, you all know even this year that we are uh, giving part of our Christmas offering to the Telos group uh, to address um, the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians and the bombardment of Gaza right now. Telos group uh, helps educate American faith communities on peacemaking and conflict, and they also pass those funds through directly 
to bona fide peacemakers, both Israelis and Palestinians, who uh, are swimming upstream against the tidal wave of violence that is happening there right now. And on that first trip that I was there, I'll never forget um, seeing uh, actual spent tear gas canisters in, in the road uh, from an incursion uh, from the IDF that came into a refugee camp and uh, painted that camp with tear gas. Uh, Side note, if you hang with the Palestinians long enough, they'll be sure to show you those tear gas canisters, say, made in the USA. Um, there's all kinds of reasons for a feeling of helplessness, I think. Like right now, I think the Palestinians in Gaza would have a lot of reasons to feel utterly helpless. Uh, but it's this strange small artifact. Um, uh, there's Palestinian Christians in Bethlehem who take spent tear gas canisters and turn them into Christmas ornaments. And um, for years, I had one Christmas ornament, literally one. Uh, I don't really do trees and Christmas ornaments. I had one. Uh, it's this. And it does so much for me to hold this and to think about it and even pray with it. Because on the one hand, it's so small. In the face of militaries funded by foreign dollars and all the biases and bigotry that drive the ugliness of a conflict like that. On the other hand, uh, it speaks to me of the calling on the human spirit to say, like, wherever you are, whatever you have your hands on, whatever you can do right now, own your power. And as you own your power, could you make something beautiful? Could you take something ugly and make it beautiful? Could you take something empty and fill it up? Could you take something hard and do something that redeems it? Could, could you get your hands on something that causes the ache, the longing in your life right now? And could you make something beautiful out of it? That's the calling for the people who know their power during Advent and who realize that the creator who has given that creative spirit to all of us, who's already arrived again to continue shaping this world towards something good and beautiful, to know that that creator has given God's self to us, given God's spirit to us, called us, already arrived for us. Start where you can with what your hands, you have your hands on and make something beautiful. I've been thinking about... Um, a member of our community who also happens to be my mother, who uh, has found poetry to be um, a really powerful vehicle for her own journey and voice. And whether it's what she experiences with life here in South Bend or what she experienced on our trip to Israel-Palestine, it's poetry that's coming out of her that's helping her to create something from all of that that she shares with others. And I'm proud of her for uh, showing up at poetry readings and being brave. And I think there's a spirit to that that really matters. I've been talking with a couple of friends just in the last week who find that this Christmas is a first Christmas for them. Um, uh, one of whom uh, lost her husband uh, just after Christmas last year. So not only is this a first Christmas with all the sort of empty space that comes that used to be full, uh, but, but this past Friday night uh, represented an annual tradition for her and her husband for years and years. It was a really special full night for them where they invited friends over. It was always December 15th. There's a whole story behind it. But she was, you know, moving forward, like looking at the emptiness of that and the longing that comes from feeling like perhaps her husband was taken too soon. And there's um, a calling for plenty of mourning and lament there, right? That's important. That's the one hand, right? She didn't have the power to prevent that from happening. And her husband was taken away by death, right? But there's also the creative power to make new things. And so this past Friday night, we set aside all the old rituals from years and years of December 15th, 
And a few of us got together with her and began to help her create some new rituals, some new, some new patterns of meaning that are appropriate for this season here. That's creativity. That's what I mean. You, you pick a night on the calendar and you fill it with something good and beautiful that you intend with your own mind. That's creative power. I think of another friend of mine I was talking to just last Sunday who, um, in the wake of a divorce, finds that this Christmas, unless she does something, uh, both because of her extended family and their plans, and then that, her, it'll just be her alone in her house. And um, as we talked, like, I could literally feel the paradox that she was working out. On the one hand, there were tears and sadness as she named the kind of emptiness there, right? And on the other hand, she began to talk about the new sort of things she's dreaming about for that day and the way she's going to um, offer her house to some friends with a kind of open house. And like, you could like, you'd literally feel the energy. On the one hand, you could sense the lament, the emptiness, and the sadness she talked about how it wasn't going to be the same. And on the other, she literally kind of like lit up a little bit, like her face brightened a bit as she began to describe how she's going to create some new rituals, some new traditions that day with Christmas. When I say creative power, I don't mean that you need to literally like be a Monet and grab a canvas, although some of you probably should, right? But I mean, the other calling here is that the creator has already shown us what it looks like when the creator lives the creator's life in flesh and blood. Read the Gospels. It'll be clear to you, Jesus wasn't naive about all that was broken, all that was um, aching and longing in the world around him. But also, simultaneously, he seems to have never shied away from his power to create moments of love and healing and truth-telling. And the paradox of Advent is for us to hold both. And so if last week we sat with our ache and we committed um, some holy vandalism on a page of sacred scripture to name the places where we are longing and aching. Uh, today we want to turn to those other questions that I've shared with you. I'll share with you again. Uh, we've got John 1 over here uh, in this corner. Uh, it's another chance to commit some holy vandalism on a sacred page of scripture. There we read, we've already seen his glory, the one and only. We are, we've already seen that the word has been made flesh and shown us what it looks like when God lives God's life in a body. And so today, whether you make your way over uh, to the page to write a word or two or to draw an image that answers these questions or whether you just want to sit with these questions, we're going to take a little bit of time to reflect on the paradox of Advent that asks, what are you waiting for? God's already arrived. Now, like, what's your part? So let me show you these questions again uh, so that you can sit with them. They're also printed out over there by the page uh, uh, from John. Uh, Lord, I don't have them in there again, but can you go back for us? Thank you. Where have you seen the glory that tells you heaven is already here? Where have you seen the beauty? Where have you seen love? Where, where has something deep within you recognized that you are, you are looking at some little sliver of God's presence in our midst? Where have you seen the glory that tells you heaven is already here? Maybe you want to just name that experience, that person, that place, that memory for yourself. Maybe you even want to name it on the page of Scripture. Or, or this. Where in your life or in the world is it time to stop waiting and start waking up? Maybe, maybe you're going to say, like, my marriage. Or maybe you're going to say, this need that I keep bumping into that breaks my heart, but I've never done anything about it. Uh, you may not know what you're going to do with it yet, by the way. Maybe you have no idea what the creative impulse is going to lead you toward, right? But you're just going to name that place, that issue, that experience, where you realize that it's time to stop waiting and or start waking up. And then lastly, this. Where do you hear the invitation to join God in creating a new future? 
Again, you may not know what it's going to look like. You may not know what the first step is that you're going to take, but you just realize there's a nudge there. There's an invitation there that says, stop waiting. Start waking up. God has already arrived. God's already with us. It's time to go. And maybe the brave thing will be to name it today so that you can figure out what you want to do with it tomorrow. Um, so we're going to reflect on this for a bit. Uh, we've got a few minutes here at the end of the gathering that have been carved out so that you can sit with these questions. You're also free, like, during this time in the gathering, if you'd like, like, in just a second, to get up out of your seat and make your way over to John. Some of you are still reflecting on Isaiah, by the way. Feel free to head that way, too, if you want to write something there. Uh, we're going to have our, our Advent candle lighting for the, thir- the third week of Advent as Mariah and team lead us. Uh, we're going to sing a little bit, too, after the reading and the candle. And so these last few minutes of our gathering are yours. Uh, for however you'd like to sit with these invitations and perhaps name something, perhaps even um, head to the page and create a little uh, holy vandalism on the sacred page and with words or images name the nudge that you're feeling today uh, to hold the other power of, or the, the other side of the paradox, which is the power of your life during Advent. Um, or I'm going to let you lead us from here. Yeah, so as Jay said, this, these next few minutes are yours, uh, so feel free to get up at any point. Uh, we're going to, as he said, sing and read. So if you want to engage in that way, the words will be up on the screen. Or if you just want to sit and write in your journal or whatever, that's fine as well. But uh, these next few minutes are yours.
So today's reading is for Advent week three for joy. And when you see the bold and italicized words, if you're following along with the songs and the reading, join in when you see that. Today we have David Pine and Clara Rabbit reading, or sorry, lighting our candles for us today. So today's reading. When God's people were surrounded by hardship, suffering, and grief, Isaiah proclaimed, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. We come today as people who are also surrounded by suffering and grief. And yet, the Spirit hovers among us, tending and anointing, inspiring freedom where there is captivity, declaring blessing in places the world has cursed, and igniting fierce joy where mourning and heartache prevail. We wait as people who experience hardship and pain, Yet we are called to witness to the persistent joy that sustains our life as God's people. We light these candles as signs of our shocking hope, just peace and fierce joy. May our lives shine with the fierce, tenacious joy of the light who lives in our hearts as we wait and work for the coming of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
Through your heartache and your pain, through your storm and your rain, you, 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 you got to hold on. is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Amen. Uh, Takesha says, and this is the quote, I want my fire to be ignited because I see our kids uh, stepping back and thinking rather than stepping up and dying. And I just love that she senses that her own fire is a part of that. Her own power is involved in that. That the thing that God has put inside her to set a fire is gonna be part of the response to that in the here and now, even while we long for the fulfillment of all of these longings. Um, by the way, uh, we were able to work with Takesha. Um, there are bracelets, uh, keychains, and Christmas ornaments. Um, all of which have one of those spent bullets in it. And uh, we've got one per household. And so as you walk out today, this is a little gift uh, from our community to you, hoping that you might take this home as a little symbol of the prayers that we prayed today and the questions that we wrestled with. And maybe uh, in years in the future, you'll keep coming back to these reflections to name your power and to honor the creative impulse in your life to make something of the chaos right now. Uh, so as you leave today, uh, at the doors on your way out, our greeter team is going to have these for you. Um, you don't get to pick. That's just going to be too crazy. So they're going to give you one of these, either a Christmas ornament or a bracelet or a keychain. But you can trade with your friends later, right? Have a little meetup at the brunch and pass them around or whatever. Um, but I'm really thankful to, to Keisha for working with us and to Karen for sharing this story. And really, um, let this be an artifact that travels with you as you pray and as you work and create as we hold the paradox of Advent. Uh, next week is Christmas Eve. It's also the fourth Sunday of Advent. And so we will uh, simultaneously uh, walk together through the last moments of Advent and turn the page to the celebration of Christmas at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Uh, same gathering with candles. We'd love uh, to see you and your loved ones there. Uh, but between now and next Sunday, which is Christmas Eve, May you hold the power of your life in one hand, even while you name the powerlessness of it in the other. And may we celebrate the advent of God, the arrival of God, who's already told us the kingdom of heaven is ours, who's already given us the spirit, who has already showed us what it looks like when heaven shows up in a, in a human life. And may our lives be empowered by the same vision to do something in the here and now, even as we long and wait. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week for Christmas Eve.